Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, I wanted to express on behalf of my wife and I, and I know that I speak for the other pastors as well, thank you for a most incredible uh, pastor's appreciation recognition last week. That was incredible. I told my wife after we left, I said, man, I feel like... Um, uh, like this was the finale, like we're supposed to leave now, you know, <laughs> it's like that was so good and uh, but uh, uh, we're going to be here, I believe God has us here uh, through the next phase and we're going we're gonna to be here uh, fulfilling the call of God on our life and service here to this church and we thank God for you that you're here and you're a part of it. We, we are a good team, I believe and thank God for our, our deacons, those that serve and serve this church so well. We appreciate that so much. And uh, I wanted to talk this morning on a subject uh, about the church, and that's been on my heart, always on my heart. Um, it's called I Will Build My Church. And, you know, uh, my first message um, uh, here as the pastor was I believe in the church. Uh, when I was a candidate, I believe in the church. I believe in the church of Jesus Christ. I, I believe it's obvious, we don't have to say we believe, with the evidence is all around, that the, the culture has shifted. There is an anti-Christian, anti-church culture that we are living in today. In fact, a culture that this nation has not experienced before since its birth. Uh, I believe that there is still hope why do I believe there's still hope in the midst of all the trouble? It's because we serve a God who still has a remnant. He still has a people. He still has a church that is alive and well. He still has a church that knows how to get a hold of God, who knows how to repent for the sins of the nation and cry out to him for mercy. We have a, he has a church that still has a hunger put there by the Holy Spirit, birthed in our hearts by him, to believe God for greater things, that these are not the final days of the church, but incredibly, these are the finest hour, the finest hour of the church. God has used the church uh, as a representation. We are ambassadors to those in this world. We represent God to an unbelieving people, and we point to them how good our God is. How many know God is good? And this is our call. We are the church, and we are the living stones that we're going to be talking about. They build together for a holy habitation for God and His Spirit. And uh, Jesus is the one who coined the phrase, I will build my church. Notice he says, I will, God will, I will build my church. And he says, my church, it's his church. You know, so many times pastors have a saying, and we go around to talk about my church. Well, my church, well, in a sense, it is our church. We take ownership of it because that is the place that God called us to serve in that season of time. And in essence, it's my church. I take ownership of that. Uh, but in reality, we have to remind ourselves that it's really his church. It's his church. And though we may be here in his instruments, his tools, basically, uh, his emissaries, uh, his leaders here at the church for a season of time, the local fellowship, an expression of the body of Christ, it is really his church. And, and we need to remember that because we as pastors are just stewards of for a season of time, and we'll give an account to the Lord about how we led a church. Just speaking for myself, and I know I speak for many other pastors, is it has always been my highest goal is to always do what is best for the local church that God has put me there to serve. I want to put them before my needs or my wants, my desires, because the church will survive and go on long after this pastor is gone. 
uh, either into the sunset or into the grave. This church will continue to go on. And my goal for this church is to not only survive, see, we can survive and suck air, but I want this church to have a quality life that it is on the cutting edge of the next phase of the next thing that God has for it, that I want to set this church up for success, as I shared last week. And with that, and I'm inspired by the words of Jesus, that when he took his disciples in Matthew 16 on a retreat to the region of Caesarea Philippi, a Roman colony, a Roman city, a beautiful city, I'm told, it was built by Rome. In fact, they said it's a little Rome away from Rome. And Jesus asked an important question to his disciples as he was meeting with them, and he asked the question, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, Jesus was not a politician, He was not somebody uh, trying to get his focus group to tell him what people were thinking of him so he knew how to lick his finger and let the wind blow and blow whichever the wind goes. That was not his intention at all. He was trying to get his disciples to think. And we need to think about what does this culture, what does this nation, who do they say the Son of Man is? Because oftentimes we find that they uh, they misunderstand who he is. They have a misinterpretation, a diagnosis of who the Son of God is. And oftentimes people who are merely religious or they inherit a religion from the founders or through the generations is that even some people who claim to be Christians have really created and formed an image, an image of who Christ is that is apart from and not defined by the Scriptures. That we create a God in our own image after our own likeness, a God that does everything we think that God should do. And that is not who Jesus Christ is. Okay? And he asked that question. And, and they replied, you know, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah and one, or one of the prophets. You know, they were just surmising little things they've heard ear to the ground. They hear the crowds murmuring and talking. And then he asked them the most important question, and that's the most important question that he can ask us in any generation of the church. In fact, multiple times through our lifetime in serving Christ, we need to ask ourselves the question, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, under the inspiration, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, spouted off very loud. You know, Simon Peter was one who always had an answer for everything, but he wasn't always right. But he was, he was inspired and he was ambitious, you know, to be right. And he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the anointed one that God promised he would send. You are that one. You are the one we have been waiting for, that the nation of Israel has been waiting for. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus commended him and told him that, you know, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but Peter, my Father in heaven, revealed this to you by a spirit of revelation. And now I say to you, you're Peter, which means rock, but upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell cannot conquer it, cannot prevail against it. And he goes on to say in verse 19 that I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven, binding and loosing authority in his name, in the name of the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he is anointed, Christ is anointed, he's the anointed of the Father, he's the second person of the Godhead. He is able to not only do signs and wonders and great miracles, even raising the dead, but he's also able to give authority to those who believe in him, who serve him, to accomplish the purposes that he gives them to 
accomplish in the season of time that they live. And he gives us that power. And he tells him that. Peter was the star of the class on that day. You know, not always was the case with Peter. But I love Peter and I appreciate him, you know. And here we say, you know, Jesus asked that most important question. And throughout the centuries, throughout the centuries since Christ died uh, and on the cross and rose from the dead, he established his church on the earth on the day of Pentecost. Uh, the enemies of Christ from that very beginning have opposed the church. The Pharisees in the day of Jesus and the apostles tried to stop it. They tried to intimidate it with threats. And, and they tried to forbid it. The Caesars, uh, not only of the Roman era, but even despots and dictators and rulers throughout the centuries have tried to intimidate the church and its leaders. They've tried to kill it. Uh, Satan tried to corrupt it uh, through godless uh, popes and Protestant leaders who tried to control the moving of the Spirit and control people through religion rather than preaching the gospel. As we said, despots uh, tried to threaten it, but the church, in spite of all that through the centuries, still not only survives, but the church is alive and well. It is thriving in the midst of a culture that has rejected God. It has been run underground oftentimes, as it was in China and other countries, and the, behind the, uh, the Iron Curtain, the Bamboo Curtain. But while it's underground, we find throughout history, looking back on it, that those were, that was the church's finest hour, the, the time of its greatest growth, the time of its greatest evangelism. And I say the church is the church that is anointed by the Holy Spirit with a message that burns in their hearts is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that Christ spoke. And that's what our job is. That's what our, uh, the joy of our calling is. It's not an onus. It's not a burden. But it is a joy and it is a privilege to be called into the ministry as the church of Jesus Christ. There were times that martyrs were, uh, were uh, people were martyred uh, for the sake of the gospel and in an effort by those leaders to try to intimidate and cause the church people to back off. But all it did was drive them forward. In fact, I will tell you this that I was at the General Council of the Assemblies of God many years ago, probably a decade or maybe longer than that, 12, 15 years ago, I don't remember. But there, that year, the focus on missions was so inspiring, so exciting. It always is. But the missionaries, there were multiple families, and I can't remember, 10 or 12 couples, young couples, young families that had come forward, and they announced that they all had a calling from God. You know, it seemed like God just spoke to multiple ones all at the same time to go where others would not go, and that was to go all across northern Africa into the Islamic world, taking their wives and their young children with them. And I was thinking at the time, I was thinking, that is dangerous. That's a dangerous place to go. <clears throat> I wonder what they're thinking. In my ignorance, in my naivete, I know what they were thinking. They heard the voice of God, that God is about to do something incredible, something unimaginable into the Muslim world to take the light into the darkness and to be there to expose the enemy, to bring light into the hearts and the minds of those who are taken captive through false religion and false teaching. 
And I tell you right now, you hear stories over and over and over again, I mean by hundreds and thousands of Muslims who are hearing the voice of the Spirit, who are hearing and seeing visions and dreaming dreams where Jesus shows up or an angel shows up and tells them, you need to seek the one who died on the cross. You need to seek Jesus who is called the Christ. And they're coming to Christ by the thousands, by the tens of thousands. There is a revival in Iran that is not spoken about because it's underground where multiple younger uh, citizens of, the, of Iran and Tehran are sneaking in the back streets throughout the city, going to secret meetings in the night so that they can celebrate and worship with fellow believers. They're taking their lives in their hands. But they said that Islam has not given us anything, but Christ has given us everything. I mean, tell you folks, I believe in the church in these days, the church that will rise above circumstances, rise above persecution, and be the church that God has called it to be. He's called us to be bold as a lion and yet as gentle as a lamb. Today, the church is canceled in our country by the cancel culture. But you cannot cancel what God has approved of and blessed. The church is alive and well, and the remnant will be here when Christ returns, and we will rise at the rapture and meet the Lord in the air with those who have died before us. Christ promises. This is his declaration. This is his promise, his oath, that he will build his church. It is Christ who builds the church. He said, I will build my church. Christ will build his church. He claims the church as his own. Christ, according to Colossians chapter 1, 14 through 20, I don't have time to read all these verses, but it's so powerful. I recommend you read it because through those verses, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, and, and under that inspiration, it's so exciting, that it is Christ, speaking of the Lord, that he, Jesus Christ, existed before anything was created. He says that he is supreme over all creation. That through him, God has created everything, and that all the things that were made that we can see and also the things that we cannot see, thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities. Did you know there's a spiritual realm that the natural eye cannot see? And in that spiritual realm, there are demons and there are angels, but God sees them and God created them just the same. And he has existed before anything else did, he says in Colossians. He said he not only created things, but it is he who holds all things together by his power, by his power and his authority. That he says that he he is the head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning. He's the supreme over all who rise from the dead, and he is the first in everything. All the fullness, Paul says, dwells in him in godly form. The fullness of God. God invested in him. It dwells in him in bodily form. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. And he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. I'm so thankful that he made peace with God for me. Through his blood, the blood of his cross, that he redeemed me from the slave market of sin. And he made me a part of the family of God, but he also made me a member of his church, his body. The church is built on the bedrock of the revelation of the Holy Spirit of who Christ is. His church is not built upon the personalities of men and women who are in ministry, evangelists or singers or people with great talent, and it is not sustained by human charisma. 
It is built on nothing less than the revelation of the Word of Almighty God. It has and it will stand the test of time, overcoming even thriving during seasons of persecution and hatred from the world. And the attacks from the demonic kingdom and will prevail, survive, and thrive in total victory and triumph with Jesus Christ according to the power of God. When Jesus Christ returns one day, as he said he would, I will come again. When he splits the eastern sky, we meet, him in the Lord, meet the Lord in the air after those who have passed on before us. That he is coming after not a wimpy, defeated church, but he's coming after a victorious, blood-washed throng. Those who have washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, who have been faithful and true to him, who have the testimony of his name in their hearts and on their lips, that is who Christ is coming back for, the church triumphant, not the church that is defeated. He is coming again. Would you look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ, the Word of God tells us, is the rock of ages. What does that mean, Pastor? Psalms 118, or excuse me, 18 verses 31 and 46 say this, For who is God except the Lord? Remember, Jesus asked the question, Who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? The psalmist says, God. Who is God except the Lord? Uh, uh, who is but God except a, is a solid rock? He says the Lord lives, praise to my rock, may the God of our salvation be exalted. What does that mean? He is the solid foundation that you can build your life on. It is who the church is built upon, the solid rock of Jesus Christ. 62 uh, two in Psalms says, he alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress where I will never be shaken. In Psalms 95.1, come and let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to what? To the rock of our salvation. God is here in this place today, and we are standing as the church of Jesus Christ on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Romans 9.33 says, I am placing a stone in Jerusalem that makes people stumble. A rock, really a rock of offense that has, makes them fall. But anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. In other words, what he's saying is that over this rock, some people will stumble, the scriptures tell us. They will stumble over the revelation of who he is. They will not believe in their hearts or even acknowledge with their minds that he is the Son of God. Nevertheless, Christ is the Son of God. To some, he's, we build our lives and others stumble over it. Verse 19 of Ephesians chapter 2 tells us it's not overhead, but Paul says, so now you Gentiles. I'm a Gentile. Anybody here a Gentile? Aren't you glad God opened up the doorway to salvation, not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles? We are here with Christ in our hearts celebrating his name because of his grace and mercy, because he opened up the door to everyone who believes. You Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. I'm a part of the family of God. How about you? That I am his, I am his child by adoption. That I am the, uh, the younger brother of my elder brother, Jesus Christ. That he is my Lord, but he's my family member. He's my best friend. He's the one who sticks closer than a brother. And he goes on to say in verse 20, Together we are are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. That's who the church is. We are the church. We are his body. 
We are built on the foundational of the teachings of who Christ is, of the apostles and the prophets. And we're built upon the cornerstone. The foundation is solid, the solid rock, Christ Jesus. This building of the church will not teeter and fall when hurricanes come, when tsunamis come. It will not happen when earthquakes take place. It'll stand the test of every storm and everything that comes against it. Jesus Christ, we are the church that's built on the solid rock of Christ. The second question is, is what is the church? Ephesians 2, 19 and 22 says this. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're citizens along with God's holy people. You are members of God's family. And together we are his house We are his house, remember that, built on the foundation. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple unto the Lord. Through him, we, the Gentiles, who have believed in Christ, are part of the dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Aren't you glad of that? I know R.C. Sproul, a great uh, uh, theologian and author, uh, he talks a little bit about this as he talks about Paul's attention to ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church, and in his letter uh, to, uh, in fact, we could say that the Ephesians actually, the letter of Ephesians answers the question of what is the church. And it says this, that Christians are part of the household in the sense that they have been adopted into the family of God which is another image that Scripture uses to describe the church. Now, when we talk about adoption, I've been through the years, and I don't know if there's probably some people in here maybe who were adopted, that you were adopted into a family. And so oftentimes I hear as a pastor and things that I read that some people who are adopted, they have something inside of them, just they feel rejection. And they, 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 they want to know, why did my mother give me up? Why did my parents not keep me? And they wonder this. You know, from my perspective, and I don't live in their shoes, but from my perspective, I wonder, uh, I know that must puzzle you, but isn't it more wonderful to know that somebody chose you? That somebody chose you. They chose to set their love upon you. They chose to make you a part of their family, of their household. They chose to make you an heir of the things that they possess and to share the materialistic things as well as the love and the spiritual things that they have to offer you. I think it is a blessing to be born into a family, but I think it's a blessing to be adopted into a family who loves you and sets their love upon you. And Jesus Christ shed his blood so that God could redeem you off the slave market of sin. You were aliens and strangers, as Paul points it out, but yet he redeemed you who are far off. He brought near by his blood and he put his spirit in you, the spirit of adoption, whereby Paul said to the Romans, we can crowd Abba, Father, Papa, Daddy, that he's our God. Listen, I don't know what kind of a father you had in real life or have. You may have had a wonderful father. You may have had a terrible father. But no matter what the case is, there is nobody like our Father in heaven, that he supersedes anything that a human father can do for their children. His love goes far beyond even what natural love does from our hearts, even for our own flesh and blood. He loves us with a love that never ends. He sent his only begotten son to die for you, to pay the penalty of sin for you so that you could be a part of his family. Christians, we're a part of that great household of God. We belong to him. Paul says, as R.C. Sproul says, Paul says that the foundation of this building called the church is made up of the prophets and the apostles. That is, the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles. Why? It's because the prophets and the apostles are agents of revelation by whom God speaks to his people. 
They delivered the word of God. Another way of saying this is that the foundation of the church is built upon the revelation, the word of God, that he has revealed it to us. 1 Peter 2.5 tells us that each believer is a part of the church just as a stone is a part of a building. Can I tell you, we have a beautiful building we live in here. We celebrate in here, don't we? And out there, it's, a, it's brick and mortar all the way around. And, and uh, we were driving through Crivets the other day, coming back from an outing in, uh, uh, in Athelstane. And as we were coming back, we were admiring the youth building that was built through the benevolence of a donor there and some donors in, in Crivets. And we said, you know, and I pointed out to the people in our car that, you know, we, we, uh, we, we kind of uh, borrowed some of the design of that building, the colored blocks of brick that uh, are mingled out there in our building. And I thought, you know, as we are the church of God, each one of us living stones, as Peter says, that we are part of the, the temple that is built up as a, as a house for God. We ourselves are living stones. Christ is the rock. Some say Peter is the rock. No, he, he, he revealed the rock of revelation, the revelation revealed to him. But Christ is the rock. On this foundation, God will build his church. And, and we are built upon that foundation. And I think about here, if we'd go out there and there'd be a, a nice, beautiful building out here, but there'd be a block missing here, there'd be a hole. There'd be a block missing over here and one down here. You know, it wouldn't look right. It wouldn't be finished. And what am I saying? I'm just saying that every single one of you who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ is part of that holy temple being built up where the house of God is, that we become the temple of, of the dwelling of God, and that you need to be a part of what the church is called to do in these last days. That if you are not a part, you leave a hole in the wall that houses the church. And God wants a perfect building. He perfects what is imperfect. He's the one who cleanses and washes us. He's the one who beautifies us. And he adds us to this incredible building. We are part of the building of God. And Peter tells us that. And can I tell you something else about this church? It's still under construction. It's not done. You know, you know several years ago, we, <clears throat> six years ago, five years ago, we, six years we dedicated this to the Lord. But, you know, it's still under construction. This building is. You know, throughout the first couple of years, there were things we had to do that, oh, we should have done, we should have put some walls around the restrooms out there. Oh, so we can do that and do that. And, and there's uh, lean-tos that needed to go over uh, the air conditioning heating units outside so that ice sheets wouldn't come down and destroy those very expensive units. And so there's guys out there working on that. And there's just this and that. And I'm thinking, is this ever going to get done? I mean, I'm just like, I want done. I want to, I'm done. <laughs> and, and yet it's still not done. You know what? Because God still has a future and a hope. He has something for us to do. God works through the, uh, the revelation of his local church, a manifestation of his presence in a community. And that church who preaches the word of God, the revelation of who Christ is, to an unbelieving culture who wins people one by one by leading them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, they get added to the church. And this local church is an expression of the body of Christ. We are his hands and his feet. We are his mouth. We are his heart. Uh, we are his feet. And this is how we serve. We serve Christ by serving one another and serving the community. You know what? There's going to come a time. I don't know how long it's going to take. But there's going to come a time when this church is going to break ground right out here. Right out here on the other side of this wall. And there's going to be a dedicated worship center 
and some other things on that side. I'm excited about it. And some people say, ah, I'm tired, Pastor. Well, you know what? You can, you can rest and sleep when you go home to be with Jesus. But, you know, right now there's a work to be done. This is part of the vision that we had many years ago, and it's not done yet because there are still people who don't know Jesus as Savior. In fact, at the old church, you know, some people said to me, you know, why do we need to build? We're happy here. We have all we need. We got plenty of money. And, uh, and I said, yeah, but we're packed. On Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings, we don't have another spare room. And, and while we are, have a full building, there's a multitude outside the four walls of this church who don't know Jesus Christ as Savior. There are children who need to be told about Jesus. There are young people, teenagers, who need to hear that there's a God who cares about the pain that they're going through. Can I tell you something? Uh, I'm brokenhearted this morning. I got a text that there's a young man that was here for a few years. I did his parents' funerals over the last several years. They died young. This young man graduated from, uh, from college and his degree, and I thought he was doing well. And I got a text this morning that he had died of a drug overdose. And I would tell you what, folks, if there ever was a time for the church of Jesus Christ to come alive and to thrive and to realize the mission that we have it is now, that young man grew up in the church, not here, but he grew up in church. He knew better. His mother and dad loved the Lord with all their hearts, and yet he strayed, and, and his sister struggles. But I'm telling you right now, that is why we are here. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We are the church of the firstborn from the dead. We are the voice of God to a culture that has forgotten who God is. We are the voice to those and the heart to those who are struggling with issues and temptation and bondages in their life. Why do you think Jesus said that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven? I give you authority over demons and devils. We need to be the church. Every believer, every day new stones are added to this church. We're growing into a holy temple that will be finished when Jesus returns to consummate his kingdom. Christ is still building his church, not by adding cement, but by adding people. Those whose stones are uh, being added to grow up into the holy temple he's called us to be. Can I tell you that we as the church, we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus? We are those who refuse to allow ourselves to allow ourselves uh, to be taken in by the, by the snares that the devil has spun, the lies he has spun to this culture. We are his body. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the children of God. We are his church. He is the head of the church. We are his body. My third point is, uh, and question is, is will the church endure? You know, that's, that's a good question. Sometimes it seems like uh, in the proverbial sense of a boxing match, the church is on the ropes. We're being pummeled and we're being beat by the enemy and by the representatives of the enemy. But Jesus Christ said this, I say to you, you're Peter, which means the rock, and upon this rock, the revelation of who I am, I will build my church and all the powers of hell cannot conquer it. Not all the powers of hell. The devil wins a few rounds he deceives people. 
he, he gets them into his clutches sometimes. But I'm telling you that the power of the anointing for setting captives free is in the hands of the church and that anointing of who he is. Jesus said in verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound on earth and in heaven. And whatever you bind on, uh, uh, or, 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 uh, loose on the earth will be loosed in heaven. There is trouble, as I said, in our world and our nation. We live in unprecedented times in this modern culture. There, are, there is trouble everywhere in politics, in Washington, and there's trouble on Main Street. There are challenges that this generation has to deal with. We have to conquer. We have to challenge. Rick Renner says at this very moment in the time that we live in, people are feeling alarmed and panicked and intimidated and unnerved by what is happening. And I'd say amen to that, that we are a, a nation or a generation that is facing things that other generations haven't had to face. Inflation is on the rise. China's rising and threatening other nations. There are mobs and riots and lawlessness in our own nation. But the events that we are experiencing are only the tip of the iceberg. Jesus said that there would be many more to come before it's all over. We're going to be facing a time when Christ will take his church and the great tribulation such as never been seen in all of human history will take place. That's why we must determine not to be shaken or moved by anything that we see or hear. We need to get a grip on our minds and refuse to allow ourselves to be victims and to be traumatized by the events that are taking place in our nation. We do this by holding on, white-knuckled even sometimes, holding fast to the Word of God. First John, or excuse me, 1 John 5, 4 says this, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. If there ever was a time our faith needs to be strong, it is now. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. We need to be a people of Word that is energized, that our gas tank is filled up with the Word of God. We can be of good cheer in the midst of all these trials because Jesus Christ said that I have overcome the world. We need to feed our faith, not our fears. So many times we feed our fears by sitting around and reading stuff, all kinds of nonsense on the internet about this is happening, this is happening, and this is taken away from And we go on and on, and we just we, we consume that stuff. And we forget who we are. That we are the sons and daughters of Christ by redemption. That we have the Spirit of God in us. That we have an anointing from the Holy One. That we have a, 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 the opportunity and the privilege of prayer. That he has filled us with his spirit and he's given us a heavenly prayer language. That the Holy Spirit can pray through us even in groanings and utterings that can't be put into human language. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We are the church that is triumphant in him. So feed your faith, not your fears. You know, it's good to listen to the news and be informed, but don't let it consume you. You know, you've heard of people who buy cottages and you know they and they and 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 they say I pastor I've heard this so many times I bought it so we could have a nice place to just get away and what I'm finding out is that I don't own it it owns me that when we get away we don't enjoy it we just have to go mow the grass and fix things and we have to do all this and do that and and it's just a burden more than it's a blessing a burden don't let things own you don't let your fears take ownership of you. 
Don't let your fears uh, decide what goes on, all the thoughts that go in and out of your mind. Take authority over every thought. Bring it captive to the obedience of Christ. When things are bad, remind yourself that God is good. When things look terrible, remind that you have a wonderful God who's able to do exceedingly above and beyond all you can ask or think. Don't fall into the trap of being negative and, and, and buying into everything you read on the internet. Good heavens, some of you need to get off the internet. I'm just telling you the way it is. You need to stop believing everything. The Bible says that the, that the, the, the simple-minded believe every word. You need to guard your heart and your mind by Christ Jesus. You need to let the Word of God be the feeding, what's fed into your mind and into your thinking. Because when you begin to meditate on the Word of God, you will believe what the Word of God says, that all things are possible through Him who believes. Especially as the day of the Lord approaches. The Bible long ago foretold that Satan would send his strongest attacks and winds to knock the world off of its feet uh, at the end of the age. And he will even try to stop the church and knock it off its feet. But nothing, absolutely nothing can stop the church. Jesus promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. I stand on the rock of that revelation. And all these end-time attacks that, that's beating upon society and trying to beat against the church too. We, the church of Jesus Christ, will prevail. 2,000 years ago the ch in ch of church history proved that every turbulent episode passes. It comes to pass. And the church remains triumphant. Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 16 and 18 are absolutely true. You can go to the bank with it. As a child of God, we are members of the unshakable kingdom, a kingdom that cannot be shaken because it is built on the rock, Christ Jesus. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is, say it with me, unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe, not being coward in fear and awe of all that the enemy is doing and saying, where is their hope? Is there hope at all? But instead, reminding ourselves that we are a part of a kingdom that is unshakable. And this simply means that it's time for you and for me to lay hold of God's grace and let go his, let his power flow through in and through us to touch everyone around us. The world and all around us may be shaken and will be shaken, but not us, because we are part of an unshakable kingdom. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. I am on the solid rock. Let's be unshakable in our faith and in our commitment to the Lord and to one another. And let's be unshakable in doing our part to ensure that God's word keeps going forth and to the ends of the earth with no interruption. Let us be a part of, of, of housing, uh, of, excuse me, of, uh, of staffing the ministries, the discipleship ministries of the local church and helping to build a strong local church of influence in this community that will last for generations to come. There's a whole group of people out there that are lost and dying and being taken captive through various vices that need to hear that there is a God who is real. There is a God who is strong.
there is a God who has conquered death and hell in the grave and that he can conquer anything that they have to face in this life through his power and his anointing. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you that, Lord Jesus, your church is alive and well. And we give you thanks, God, that we are part of your church, of the habitation of the Holy Ghost. That, God, you work in and through your church to accomplish great and mighty things that in the natural, we would see with our natural minds, would be impossible. But, God, you're the God of the impossible. Like Jeremiah the prophet asked the rhetorical question, is there anything too hard for God? And the answer is absolutely nothing is too hard for you. So, God, we stand here today standing upon the revelation of who you are. We stand today as living stones being built up, Lord, on the cornerstone of Christ Jesus our Lord. And that we are the temple of the, house of, the, of, the, of the Spirit of God, the household of faith. And God, we determine today to stand firm. Lord, to stand firm and to work hard. God, to accomplish, Lord, what you've called us to do in this time. You haven't called us to raise the white flag of surrender. You haven't called us to negotiate with the enemy, better terms. But God, you've called us to utterly destroy all the works of the enemy. For Jesus, you said that you have come to destroy the works of the devil. And Lord, you work in and through your church to do that in every generation. And so, God, we pray, uh, Lord, inspire us, encourage us, call us. Lord, woo us, O God, by your Spirit to take our place at the forefront, on the front lines, Lord, of this battle, uh, Lord, against the forces of evil, seeking to destroy, Lord, people's lives and homes, their children and a nation. O God, we are the remnant. Lord, we are, Lord, the remnant that remains. Lord, we stand on the rock, Christ Jesus, and the power of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.